most competitive guy. I, I mean, I would throw on Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, oh, yeah. Kobe Bryant. It's basketball. It can't be, you know, you, you can't overthink it. Hello, everybody. Terry Foster here. What's going on? And I'm hopefully I will be joined by my main man, uh, Jimmy King here. Uh, we're just kind of chilling out on a hot day. Um, the Foster household is preparing for a drive-by graduation party because of COVID-19. Uh, we don't want to have people over the house. Um, you know, you know, a bunch of strangers. We don't know who they are, where they've been. So we um, are having a drive-by party. So hopefully that will work out. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world. And um, I want to start with Bubba Wallace. Um, first of all, let me just say that America spends too much time monitoring <coughs> Donald Trump's tweets. And I think I hear a raspy voice on that. It must be James Earl Anthony King. Are you with me there? <laughs> I'm there here, my brother. What's going on? Nothing. I'm just confused happy about fourth, that. Happy, happy, happy Independence Day. <laughs> now, what, what did you do for the fourth? <clears throat> um, I went down to uh, Houston to spend time with a close friend of mine, uh, Kiwi Baker. Um, mm -hmm. So I spent uh, part of the day with him and then drove back to Dallas and uh, spent some time with another close friend that I grew up with named Eric Pfeiffer, who uh, has a boat. So we went out on his boat, spent some time on the lake, enjoyed some pops in a nice clean blue sky. <laughs> so we we spent we spent some time uh, chilling out, chillaxing on the lake. Degrees? It was 100 degrees every day? Yeah, it was, that, that whole day? it was on fire. It felt like the sun was literally sitting on your shoulder. <laughs> okay. Now you are a semi Texas guy, even though you, uh, you know, join us from yes, uh, South Bend. All right. Now you know Houston is the largest city in in Texas, right? Correct. Do you know what the second largest city is in Texas? Austin. No. Dallas. Nope. San Antonio. Bam! You got it. San Antonio is the second <laughs> largest. I didn't know that. I didn't... I used to travel to Texas all the time. I thought it was just Houston and Dallas and everything else was kind of there. So well, the major you got okay, you got Galveston, you got uh Port Arthur, you got right. Waco, you got Fort Worth. Um, there's a lot of cities. Uh El Paso. El Paso. Um uh Abilene. There's a there's a lot of cities uh throughout Texas that will Surprise you with how big they are. Texarkana, um, uh, Terrell. Uh, there's a lot of places that you know you'll be surprised at how big. And I, I'll put it to you. Here's a here's a here here's something put in perspective. Plano, where I went to high school, Plano East, which is considered a suburb of Dallas, which is about 20 minutes north of Dallas, right, is half the size of Detroit, the city of Detroit. The population of Plano is half the size of Detroit. That gives you perspective how big it's Texas is. It's about 350,000. 
Correct. Okay, that's pretty. That's a that's a pretty big uh, suburb there. But uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot going on. I, me, I was not driving all over the state like you did. I did I, I did a a homecation or a staycation for J- July Fourth. I smoked ribs, and the family. <laughs> I knew they were good because my daughter doesn't eat anything. Uh, when she uh-huh. asked, well, what was the dinner for the 4th? I said, well, I smoked ribs. Man, you would have thought I told her I had rat poison. <laughs> no, I don't want to say that. I nasty. And I said, she's not eating know. that stuff. <laughs> well, she's not I eating that stuff. Her. All right, well, here's the deal. I gave them to her. She ate them and then wanted some more. <laughs> so now see that's a good. good sign right there. You must have really. How long did you did it take for you to smoke them? Five hours. Oh, see there it is. The meat was falling off the bone. I know yeah. you had flavor. Now here was now we we discussed this before. Barbecue sauce or no barbecue sauce? Okay, you always have to take the first bite without barbecue sauce. Okay. Then afterwards, right. you got to play around with it and decide if you want barbecue sauce or not. All because right, cool. the meat, the flavor of the meat is, you know, I seasoned them overnight, mm-hmm. get the smoke flavor, and uh, that's what makes it great. Then, you sound like you from South Bend with that formula right there. That's how we do it in the Bend. We smoke them, I mean, we marinate them overnight. Then we get up early, six, seven, eight in the morning, put a little special sauce in there and mm-hmm. uh, smoke them for the next five, six hours. You got the formula. How come I, I wasn't invited? Right. <laughs> As I was saying earlier, before we got to a barbecue <laughs> thing, I'm a little bit confused about something. Maybe you can help me out. Uh, we up? spend way too many much time reading the president's tweets and here's what i don't understand why does bubba wallace have to apologize for having a noose in his garage he didn't put it there he didn't discover it um this is not jesse smollett but the president is asking how come bubba wallace doesn't apologize to all the drivers in nascar um to the public and everything to me there's no reason to apologize I agree. I don't think there's a reason for him to apologize at all. I think he was just going off of the stories that were reported to him by his uh, crew and then by the FBI. <clears throat> and so it's clear to see that he was just made, he made a mistake, a simple mistake um, from the information that he was given. And for anyone, including the president, to ask for uh, an apology, including the president, <laughs> that is ridiculous because um, I think it's just something that Donald wants to see happen because I think in the back of his mind, he hopes that people who don't agree with him or don't like him will give him uh, the same type of uh, respect or the same type of treatment that he he wants which is, or, or that he expects, which is crazy because he expects uh, Bubba to do this, yet and still he won't do or make a simple apology to like the, the um, uh, what's the group called out of, um, the, out of New York, the um, 
Oh, the Central uh, Park Five. Yes, Central Park Five. Right. Well, well he um, he said they um, committed a crime. They should have the death penalty. And then when DNA uh, results came back and proved they didn't do it, he didn't back down. Right. And right. It's funny to me, this president wants everybody else to apologize. But you know what's the one thing he never does? Apologize. <laughs> wrong and he never apologizes but he wants everybody he never else apologizes. to apologize and that's, and that's the no. point i'm making like if, if 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 you're gonna apologize for one thing it would be the central park five who i mean essentially you're calling for uh their incarceration and 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 ultimately death so um right you know it's it's just ironic to hear him tweet or to say anything about what's going on with bubba Watson and in this situation when he doesn't, when he clearly doesn't do what he's asking someone else to do. Right. But here, here's the other thing that Donald Trump doesn't understand. There's a few things in the world that freak black people out. If we see a noose, I mean, we're <laughs> automatically up. Okay. Somebody's out to get, right. you don't have to, you don't do an investigation. Like, all right, something bad is about to happen. Because we just had that history with noose, um, you yeah. know. Never met a noose I liked, so I know if if I left my house and I saw one, I'm not asking for an FBI investigation. I would freak out immediately. Like, okay, <laughs> something is wrong. Somebody's out to get me. We got to do something about this. And I think that's probably the same thing that Bubba Wallace had. Absolutely. There are certain things in our history, in black history, that we don't play with. Confederate flags, nooses, um, uh, voting rights, you know, freedom right. of speech. Um, <clears throat> you know, there are things that historically, you know, we, we've, uh, we've been victim to. So right now, you know, again, uh, this is a teaching point. <laughs> Every time I see something like this or I hear something like this, I, it's just another teaching point, unfortunately. And I know we're tired of being doctors and professors and right. uh, politicians, but, you know, it's our it's part of our burden, um, in my opinion, and it's part of uh, what we need to do um, in order to advance our community. These are the tough conversations that I think we've always wanted. Um, um, un, through unfortunate circumstances, but you know, it's time. It's a paradigm shift. It's it's a power right. shift, and I think right now we should take advantage of that. Yeah, we have to, and there and there's a way where we're not taking advantage of it. And I'll tell you what it is. I think we're not in, we're not taking advantage of that because of the Confederate statues. Now, Correct. when this the Black Lives Movement started, we were upset about police brutality. We're upset about it, a lot of different things. And then, you know, we started talking about Black Lives Matter and and treat us like human beings. But I think the whole movement has been hijacked by the fact that some people who don't like Confederate uh, soldiers, which I don't like either, but now their whole thing is, let's tear them down. And you know what we're not talking about now? Mm -hmm. We're not talking about police brutality which would help right. the black community. We're not talking right. about better schools, which would help the black community. We're not talking about 
jobs in the black community, which obviously would help the black community. We're talking about statues now. And yes, those statues have a racist and terrible history. They're not beautiful like the president says they are. But tearing down a uh, statue does not help the inner city. It doesn't help uh, people who need jobs, who need education, who need hope in their lives. I mean, it's symbolism, which I guess is fine, and some people are, are okay. I think now you've hijacked and turned the conversation away from something that's so much more important than these stupid statues that I wish we would get back to people talking about what's going to help black people. And because at the end of the day, I want us all to be on equal footing. That is the point of this movement that we're having, but I think it's been hijacked. I agree. It's a classic deflection where, you know, we, we don't, we, we, we handled, uh, I guess the symptoms of the issue right. and not the issue itself. So right. again, we skip into <laughs> taking pictures, which is good because it, it, it does have a psychological effect on um, our community, and particularly our children. Um, when you see these statues and um, you read literature and, and, and there's no uh, historical faces that look like yours. So that's a start. However, again, like you said, the movement of uh, Black Lives, or not even Black Lives Matter, but police brutality um, towards uh, Black people uh, is is really being mishandled, in my opinion, uh, mainstream-wise. Uh, we're talking about defunding uh, the police, and uh, and people are getting upset about that. But you know, I would caution people uh, to rethink that because you know, uh, defunding is not disbanding. And and if you want to jump to straight disbandment, um, I would say be careful of who you put the power back in, you know, because the power is in our hands right now to make a change and to affect, and that's what we're talking about, to affect the policies and the procedures in which they operate. So starting over and and then giving it back, the power back to a system that doesn't have your best interests at heart uh, historically is foolish. So I think we should be able to, you know, to again, have these tough conversations and uh, take advantage of this, again, this power shift. Yeah, you know, I was really hopeful that there was going to be change. Now I'm a little pessimistic about it because when this whole movement started, everybody was outraged. Democrats, Republicans, uh, you know, even people that I viewed as anti-black were like, hmm, there's something wrong here. So I thought, you know what? Something's going to happen. Now, because of the whole statue thing, uh, because of people trying to switch the narrative over to something else, I'm not so certain anything's mm -hmm. going to come of this. I'm just a little bit pessimistic mm -hmm. about it. We're going to have this great opportunity where everybody's listening and we're going to blow it. Because let me, let me tell you something. What, doing talk radio in Detroit is so frustrating. Mm -hmm. When you bring up an issue that is hurtful, 
harmful to black people and you try to bring it up mm-hmm. to white people, they don't want to hear it. Everything's straight. <laughs> You're whining. Why do you talk about race all the time? Um, because I either am living it or I know somebody who's living it. That's why. And I was hoping the reason I wanted to talk about race a lot of times is so that we can avoid um, a, a guy like Floyd being murdered, so we could avoid these protests, so that we could avoid what's going on in the nation now. Now people are listening, finally, but we're going to blow this opportunity, bro, and it's going to be tragic. <laughs> uh, I, I, hope, I hope not. Um, my prayers are... Are are in the you know the people waking up, being more conscious, raising their level of consciousness, and 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 taking action. I think um, you know the younger generation has a uh, uh, they don't have a, a recollection or uh, experience of um, full race. Not I'm gonna say racism, but slavery. The effects of slavery the way that our grandparents and parents and even ourselves, because this is the first generation that literally is not touched by it. Their grandparents nor their parents were slaves at this particular generation, but our grandparents and our parents were directly affected by it. So this um, generation, in my opinion, uh, has no, attachment to that. So therefore they have no fear of the repercussions or the psychological warfare that was planted in uh, our heads of upon rioting and raising up and, 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 and causing awareness. So I think that I hope that, that this, this generation along with a few um, elder leaders can, can make it, make a change in this establishment. And it's going to be political, even though uh, we may not want it to be. We may be uncomfortable playing in the political real realm, but that's what ultimately is going to be: is political, uh, it's business, um, and uh, and ultimately it's 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 liberation and finance. Um, you know, we got to educate ourselves to. Yeah, Man, yeah. Let me let me decide my generation. We blew it. We blew it because my generation saw uh, the civil rights movement. My generation was appalled by what was going on. Even white people were appalled by, uh, you know, Bull Connor and sicking the dogs on black people, turning the, the fire hose on them. So we should, our generation, or my generation should have had that dialogue. My generation should have made more strides to equality. But I think one of the things that happened was, and I hope this doesn't happen down the path, white people are like, why should we change things? I'm in a better position than uh, my black brothers. I don't owe them anything. I feel sorry for them, but you know, I don't want stuff to be equal because then I, I might have to give something up. And uh, now I, I sometimes run into um, Caucasians who say that black people have too many rights. The black people uh, have too many civil liberties. And here's what I say to them. Would you rather live in a typical white neighborhood or a typical black neighborhood? And I'm talking about the housing. Uh, would you mm-hmm. would you want your kids 
to go to a typical white school or a typical black school. I think the you white school, white school, <laughs> right? Because you're going to get better education. The building's going to be nicer. Um, the teachers are getting paid more. And as far as the white neighborhood, on average, the houses are going to be bigger. Uh, they're going to be nicer. Um, you know, you can't. And you know, in the black neighborhood, I mean, my black neighborhood, growing up, I mean, if you went there, you would be in tears. First of all, the houses are crumbling. Uh, a lot of them been burned. Uh, the streets are clogged with garbage. Uh, mm -hmm. There's weed in front of a bunch of houses. People have moved out. It's it's really a pathetic sight. So, um, but no one can answer. No one ever answers that question. Well, I'd rather be in a black neighborhood going to black schools. No white person can answer that question that way mm -hmm. because they know they've got it good so i think at least in my neighbor in, in my from my um generation we had to fight two things we had to fight that pocket of hatred from white people who would brag oh i haven't been to detroit in 30 years i'm not going to go down to that rat infested place i'm not going to be down there with those people and then you had black people hey i hate whitey look look what they've done to me I have no love for them. So we had to fight those two things. And then we had to also fight, I think, for a lot of white people, they say, I got it good. So why should I give this up? So but I think this next generation, the ones in their 20s and 30s, we have a shot with them to try to correct this. But, uh, you know, we, we may have to rely on the generation after them because I'm seeing some stupid things now that don't uh, exactly <laughs> make me happy. So. <laughs> well, there's there's always a few bad uh, apples that ruin the bunch, and it goes for That's even the bright ones, even the ones that we hope that would um, change the future. You know, they they may not uh, get with the times, and then mm -hmm. you know the generation, um, our generation, or generation you know before us, um, you know, there's still some educated leaders who. Are willing. It's just a matter of mobilizing and having some soldiers and uh, some troops on the ground that can that can mobilize and and, and effectively uh, carry out an agenda. So that's what we got to sift through right now. Because I know what you're saying about you know there's some things that you just don't like, and of course there's going to be some people who are going to take advantage of uh, these opportunities in a negative way. You're always going to have that, but that's why we have to band together and and, and start um, joining forces and 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 pooling resources so that this issue again we could be educated and you know powerful or strong enough that um, you know and have the foresight where if if something like this was to happen in the future we'll be better prepared um, at least as a community and as a people. All right. Well, Mr. Division One uh, athlete, have you seen the uh, the latest collegiate ads they've had about uh, racial justice? Where um, yeah, a, a lot there's a lot of athletes from the University of Michigan, Minnesota, a bunch of other schools, and one of the most powerful statements they say, "Love me like you do on Saturday." Um, mm -hmm. You know, like me the same as when I'm wearing my uniform. 
In other words, mm -hmm. you know, you can love me all the time, um, but not just when I'm performing for you. Um, I was I was listening to radio the other day, uh, and some pathetic guy called in. It was my old radio show, and Mike Blenny uh, set him straight. Thank God. He said, "How can there be racism when little kids look up to black athletes?" And uh, my you know my response to that is, people love athletes. They love performers. So if you can entertain me, make me happy, make me smile, then, you know, we're all good. But if you're average Joe in the street, I'm scared of you. And to me, that's the difference uh, there. Yeah, we love Michael Jordan. We love Shaq. But do we love Leroy and Sam and Joe that we meet every day in the street or run into in the street. That's the difference right there. And I think that's a powerful no, message that those college kids are sending. No, because we're sick as a society. It's called cognitive cognitive dissonance. It's when your mm -hmm. actions don't match. When your actions don't match your speech. We say we don't have racism, but systemically it's clear that this is a racist racist society or system so right. when you are affected by it um you're you're it almost say easily but you have a, a way of of distancing or dissoning yourselves from reality and you can then form another reality reality to live in and that is what is going on. That is why it's been so long and it's so hard to change because it's it's a lot of it, it's it's in the system, it's the systemic. So it's not one individual or a group, it's the system. Mm -hmm. So we have to get past that, number one. And then number two, it's um <clears throat> it's being able to being willing to change and and being comfortable with changing. And that's another problem that we have as a people in society, not just black or white, but just uh, as human beings. We're afraid of change often, um, good, good and bad. Um, a lot of times people are frozen in their tracks thinking about success. I've seen a lot of athletes um, who were afraid of success, of being um accountable in what it takes to be successful, have all the talent in the world, um, but was afraid of the accountability uh, if it fell on their shoulders for the probability of success. So <laughs> uh, I've seen it all across the board and, and, and it bleeds over, especially when something as hard as this comes up. When you can't do it in your everyday life or you, know, you do it for something that you love to do, uh, you know, i.e. athletics, it's difficult to do it in, in, in my opinion, in your real life and exhibiting in that. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the ones who aren't afraid and then we're seeing the ones who are becoming um, more brave and stepping out and making the change. And that's across the board, black and white. And that's why I want to salute my white brothers and sisters who are out here fighting for Black Lives Matter. Right, I, I love it too. Never thought I'd see this day come, but it's here. Now we got to take advantage of it. Hey, we, we got to leave. When we come back, I'm going to ask you 
uh, a parental question. What would you do if Imani Bates were your son? He's made a big decision. Let's see if uh, he actually falls through with it. So this is uh, Terry got Foster. <laughs> I got an answer. <laughs> I got a couple answers. I'm sure you do. I want to hear them. So we'll be right back. Imani Bates. Jimmy King is a dad now, so we'll see uh, what he says about it. <laughs> everybody Amani Peace <laughs>